we're all almost the accidental DEI expert, aren't we? Look, I interrogate what I do very, very strongly. And, you know, as you can imagine, there are a lot of divergent issues that crop up in a business and it's sometimes really hard to prioritize need. Where do we start with this work? Welcome to Inclusion at Work, a podcast from Leaders for Good that takes a deep dive into the world of diversity, equity and inclusion in the workplace. We talk to experts and industry leaders on the research, strategies and tools they're using to drive change and create high-performing, inclusive organisations. We also share our own learnings and perspectives from our work with thousands of leaders across some of the world's most impactful organisations. In this episode, founding partners Kerry Boys and myself, Phil Cross, talk to Lydia Hope. Lydia is Future Supergroup's Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Officer, and she unpacks some of the great work they've been doing there. We touch on the importance of iteration and testing uh, and the importance of humility in that process. We unpack how Future Super creates an environment where people feel comfortable speaking up and the mechanisms that Future Super use for listening and taking action on that feedback. And we also discuss how to think about prioritizing activities, prioritizing initiatives and projects when everything feels like it should be a priority. A wide-ranging and fascinating conversation with Lydia. So many gems in there for you to take away. And we hope you enjoy listening as much as we did having the conversation. So without further ado, we bring you this conversation with Lydia Hope. So welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And I'd love to start by understanding a bit about you. So tell us, how did you come to be doing this work at Future Super? What's your story? Great question. Great way to begin. But um, I'd actually like to pay my respects first up. So Bureri Gamaru, I'm calling in from Gadigal country, Redfern, Sydney, which is where I've called home for the past 20 years. Um, I live just a few streets away from the block, which in 1972 became the focal point for a campaign to hand back housing to Aboriginal tenants um, who were evicted by landlords in the early 70s. Um, This then saw the genesis of Aboriginal-run housing. So today, as I sit here working on country and talking to you, I invite you to thank Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people for looking after country for time immemorial. Let us ensure this continues. Um, As always, I pay my respects to elders past, present and future, Sovereignty was never ceded, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Um, At Future Super, we always start our meetings with an acknowledgement of country and we get all of our team members to actually um, give their own acknowledgement of country. Um, So I just thought I'd, you know, begin this interview with that. Yeah. Um, So just about, you know, how I got into this, um, I would say I am an accidental DI expert. I listened to one of your previous podcasts um, and it really resonated with me, actually. Um, I, uh, I've always had an interest and passion for social justice issues. Um, I've got a master's in international social development and worked for many years in the refugee and asylum seeker for, um, sector for peak bodies and community development orgs. Um, I also spent some time in Timor-Leste working for Oxfam back in 2005 um, when the UN was still um, stationed there. Um, I'm originally from Hong Kong of mixed race, Hong Kong Chinese and Anglo background. Um, And I was attuned uh, to the complexity of living in a colonial territory that Hong Kong was back then. Um, As as you know, went back to China in uh, 1997. So I was always looking both ways, um, being mixed race. And I have to say, a lot of the time, I felt 
pretty uncomfortable um, with that environment that I was growing up in. What I'm trying to say is um, that I think um, I became very sensitive to a broad range of experiences that people bring to the table. And I really hope I can bring that level of empathy and sensitivity to the people I work with in my role at um, Future Super. Um, plus, I hope a deep curiosity and rigorous way of thinking um, picked, up, picked up through my previous social justice um, policy and research work. Um, now I'm in Future Super, um, best company I've ever worked for. We're a business of um, 126 staff. So we're still on the smaller end, um, but we decided to commit to a new DI role in 2021. Um, and the role brings a strategic focus to the work we do at Future Super. Um, we're already doing awesome work in this space, but it's now overseen by the one person. Thank you. Lydia, so so nice to so nice to see you and thank you so much for being generous with your time and joining us on the podcast today. And thank you for that wonderful acknowledgement of country as well. That was um that was really really pointed and really heartfelt and and felt very different from i i i love the i love the uh, i love the fact that you invite all of your all of your staff to give their own spin on the acknowledgement as well at the start of your meetings because i think all too often it can feel quite um boilerplate and and quite um quite matter of fact and i think that that of course largely misses the point of of why we of why we do them so i just i, I just wanted to just wanted to highlight that you touched on it um, a little bit there with your um, with your story of of how you come to be doing the work you do, but I wonder if you could bottle it up and and really encapsulate why this work is so important to you, why the work of of DEI is is so meaningful, and and I guess some of the the, the change you're looking to bring about in the world. Mm, yeah, as I was doing research for this podcast. Um, yeah, I spent quite a bit of time thinking about you know how we could, as you say, what is the essence of this work that we do. And I think what it is, is that um, as people, we come to work with a multitude of experiences and backgrounds. So when a workplace really acknowledges those unique differences and makes an effort to include everyone from that, that intersectional lens, then we as employees can really do our best work and, and then obviously feel safe to do our best work and push boundaries, be loud in the workplace, uh, not sit back, um, you know, and feel intimidated. And I, I really believe that you know, we are on this journey at Future Super um, because we already have a really strong foundation of progressive thinking, allyship, um, and a desire to work in a way that affects change and addresses societal inequalities. Um, so I, I'm really proud that, you know, I'm doing this work full-time now um, at a strategic level because it's um, ensuring that we have the intent um, and then we can move the dial in this space in a consultative and intentional way. Um, you know, bringing people along the journey um, and showing them how business can really do this um, in an authentic way. Of course, we're going to make mistakes, you know, as we all do. Um, but I think always listening, always responding um, in the best way that we can. I was just going to ask, I think we've talked a bit about Future Super now, but I know some of our listeners may not be familiar with Future Super. So I thought you could share a little bit about, about what Future Super does. Yeah, so Future Super Group's an ethical superannua superannuation fund that invests your money in climate solutions for a better retirement. Um, our purpose is to create a future free from climate change and equality, and we use business as a force for good, both in terms of how we run our super fund and how we take care of our employees. Um, we don't invest in fossil fuels or other harmful industries. 
Um, we're growing rapidly. We now have over 40,000 members um, who've chosen Future Super, and they're all moving their money out of fossil fuels and into climate solutions. So it's an incredibly exciting space we're, we're in now. Um, we do this by seeking to identify investment products that avoid or, re or reduce harm. And when these don't exist, we partner with like-minded investors to create them. Um, we also seek to invest some of our capital in impact investments, which directly address climate change or inequality. Um, this realizes um, the, the potential that divestment unlocks. Um, and it's, yeah, as I said, it's a very, very exciting um, space and company to be wor working for because I know that, you know, the impact is really, really big. I've always admired Future Super for the the clarity of vision around the potential for business to have such a positive impact and and to really move the needle on 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 social change in the world. And I think that's one of the um, one of the sort of through lines that I, I hear you when you talk about DEI as well to to be the organisation that's uh, that's a role model for other organisations to really bring to life what great can look like and and how it can produce a, a thriving uh you know a, th a thriving organization that's um a, a really attractive place for everybody um to to to, to work out and, and contribute to um uh, rolling rolling into rolling into the the, the dei aspect of, of obviously of your role um and you mentioned your you know you've now got the capacity to to take a really strategic approach to 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 bring it to life at future super i'm I'm wondering what does that look like how could you break down how you're how you're thinking about bringing it to life in the in the different ways that you're you're implementing programs initiatives whatever it might be at future super yeah look um again you know really awesome question um so i you know i really focus on a data-driven consultative approach um so we're regularly receiving feedback and insights from the team via engagement surveys that are done on a quarterly basis. Um, and we're also collecting diversity data when people first start with a business. Um, so ultimately, there's a high level of trust uh, at Future Super. And I'm finding that people are coming to me with any issues they're seeing or improvements that might enhance their experience. Um, so I think that's, that's the key thing for us. Um, we also have a three-year DEI strategy and action plan but this is a live document um, and really responds, as I said, to the needs across the business as, yeah, as needs ebb and flow. Um, we've got, you know, three employee resource groups. And, of course, we not, you know, we're really conscious um, that members of these groups are not bearing the load to come up with ideas and initiatives. But we have had great success um, for the team driving ideas that benefit them, namely the development of menstrual and menopausal leave for employees. Um, I'm not sure whether you, you've come across many businesses that offer this, um, but it's six days leave per year outside of someone's personal leave. Um, we implemented this in, in January 2021, um, and our EMPS for women has actually gone up, you know, quite consider considerably since we implemented this. Um, and we we survey our, our team to better understand, you know, what, what other things might really benefit them. Um, Coming back to the, the menstrual menopause or leave, um, we're seeing that it's sparking, you know, a lot of conversations and removing stigma around these issues. And one of the men in our team actually made um, a, a period pad emoji that people now use in their Slack status when they're on menstrual leave. So as you can see, Future Super is a very um, open um, business, you know, where people are willing to, to do that and to share how they're going. Um, yeah, but look, we always recommend people steal our policies. Um, you can find this policy on our website. Um, yeah, we, we say, look, there's no point reinventing the wheel. Um, 
yeah, you know, come come and have a look at the website and take what you want. <laughs> um, but ultimately, we start our, we started our DI journey when people begin with um, Future Super. We use um, Applied, which is a behavioral science-backed recruitment platform that reduces bias um, and improves the quality of hires and improves diversity. Um, then during the onboarding journey, staff complete um, compulsory training, so cultural competency training through Black Card, which is a, a supply nation business, um, and uh, they do training with Acknowledge This, which helps to uplift their um, understanding and delivering and uh, acknowledgement of country. And they also do ACON pride training. So, yeah, the onboarding journey is is, cramp, is, is quite busy for new starters, but we really want to um, set the tone when people first join um, and let them know that this is business as usual. This is how we operate um, from the get-go. So many different things we could dive into there. But <laughs> the, 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 one of the one of the things that's jumping out for me and Kerry, love to love to get your reflections as well. Is you're you're essentially throwing up the bat signal for for people who are, are inclined to work at an organisation with a particular culture. So I'd imagine you know with the 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 uh, how visible you're making such initiatives. For instance, the the, the menstrual leave. Um, the the fact that it's so front and present on the website, the the fact that you'd be mentioning it, uh, you know, you're using a platform like Applied, it would be something that would be mentioned throughout that process. You, you're really you're really um, making it known that this is us, this is our culture as an organisation, and I'd imagine that that breeds a uh, an interest from from a lot of people who are also also sort of keen on that as well. So that's great. Um, I just wanted to. You mentioned ENPS just for the listeners who who might not be familiar. Employee Net, net Promoter Score. So um, if if you're talking about that in the context of women in the organisation, that's obviously more women in the organisation saying yes. Future Super is a wonderful place to work, um, which is uh, a great, <laughs> great, great metric to see see going up and to the right. At Leaders for Good, we have a proven track record of helping clients from a wide range of different industries create lasting culture change. We achieve this by developing impactful diversity, equity, and inclusion strategies, by delivering highly effective workshops and programs, and by leading change initiatives that truly work at scale. So if you're enjoying this conversation and would like to talk to us about accelerating your organization's DEI efforts, please reach out at hello at leadersforgood.org. Perfect. So the area that I was also really interested in was around EMPS because we often have organisations talk to us about the challenges associated with getting diversity and inclusion data. Um, you've obviously got a very high level of trust in the organisation, which would help no end. But I love that you talked about the fact you're looking at this quarterly. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you're approaching that. What type of data are you asking for? Is it built into a broader engagement survey? What does that process look like? Yeah, this is a great question, and it's something that I have been thinking about a lot lately. Um, yeah, so we have, in, we have quarterly engagement surveys, um, which are a holistic um, uh, survey of, you know, how people are going. Um, we, we have over the past, so when pan pandemic hit, we asked questions about how people were going, working from home. You know, any major, you know, um, organisational changes will also include questions on, on that. Um, we don't have a separate DI survey, so we do have a, a couple of um, standalone questions that we do ask, you know, how is the leadership going in the DI space? But I do feel it's very important um, for companies to actually have a section for e at each quarter 
um, same question so we can actually have that, you know, very strong data set to get a sense of, you know, what's actually happening. You know, it's anonymous survey. Hopefully people are being very upfront about how they're going. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's something that I'm working on, something I haven't quite um, really landed on in terms of, you know, the best questions. I would love to hear how other businesses do this. Um, yeah, so look, it, it, yeah, it's something I'm, I'm still working on. Perfect. And we're obviously very happy to have a chat on that one. Yeah. Okay. Yep. The acknowledgement that it's an, uh, an evolving piece and that it's not it's not static and the questions will change as the organization changes, as the context changes, I, th I think is really um, it's really key to call out here. It's it's not a static thing. And, and when we rest on our laurels and we stop, we, we stop changing things, then that's that's when we've got to worry. So I, I love that you're I love that you're taking that approach to it as well. Um, and 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 more moreover, it's uh, and and this leads us neatly onto the sort of topic of of kind of the the wins you've seen out the back of it. I think the the thing that frustrates most people about being surveyed, we uh, and Kerry and I disagree on this a little bit, but the uh, the the topic of survey fatigue. I, I think people aren't people generally aren't fatigued by surveys. I don't I don't think the volume of surveys is that high in most organisations. I think what annoys people most is nothing happening off the back of those surveys or 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 no further the communication being poor around them the transparency around the results not being there so i i think i'm not saying people some organizations don't over survey i think there's some that do but i think moreover i think it's the lack of action that, off the back of a survey that's most frustrating to people so i think as long as you're connecting it back to meaningful change you you're 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 almost certainly making positive movements so yeah yeah so our HR advisor actually does a quarterly Loom. So we use Loom um, and, and she shares back um, the results that come through and we've got a traffic light system, um, you know, so, so particular questions and where we've actually progressed. Um, so I, th I think we're on the right track. You know, um, yeah, look, we're, we're trying, we're iterating. We're a company big on iteration and testing and learning and all of that stuff. So that's our current approach. Talk to me in six months time and <laughs> you might have something different. Yeah. Perfect. I'll pick up on Phil's question that he sort of started there to dig into, which is a bit about your key wins. So either in your role, since you've taken it on officially, or since you've been at Future Super, what's the stuff that you've seen that you've, I guess, been the most proud of? Yeah, uh, there's a lot to be proud of um, because, you know, we have a team that have a deep passion for um, equality in the workplace. And I sincerely hope we're building on this through my work. Um, we've cultivated a space where people share more. Um, for example, we invited a menstrual educator to come and give a talk to the team. And um, I'm seeing more people sharing what stage they are in their cycle and, you know, trying to balance their workflow around their cycle. Um, so we're, you know, we're open to talk, talking about th these things in, a per in our personal lives in a safe space. Um, we've established three successful and engaged employee resource groups. Um, and again, people feel safe to share experiences um, in a really, you know, non-judgmental way um, with people from across their company. So not just within their teams, but they're meeting people from, you know, other teams and that's building up rapport, particularly in a re remote first business. Um, what we've done, you know, since COVID, well, actually during COVID, this started happen happening, but we invite, we invite lunch and learn guest speakers um, and I'm proud to say, you know, I've invited some, you know, absolutely interesting and, um, yeah, really impactful guest speakers. For example, Afghan Hazar refugee rights activist Zaki Hadari. 
He now works for Amnesty. Um, Deb Kilroy, from C the, who's a CEO of Sisters Inside, um, Share the Dignities, which is a, a period poverty charity um, that their CEO, um, and then Renee Heaton, who's a disability advocate. Um, we are a member of Diversity Council Australia, and um, we've scored really highly on their Inclusive Employer Index, and I hope that's going to continue. But it's really testament to the progressive nature of Future Super and also um, that staff are embracing the idea of making the company more inclusive. Um, and then I've got some really exciting news. Just over the last week, the board have actually just um, approved uh, a bunch of really um, awesome new new policies, namely um, cultural leave for First Nations staff and cultural leave for culturally and faith-diverse staff. Um, we have now a pay-the-rent policy, which has been endorsed um, yeah, so that's just been very recent. And also, I have to say, um, you know, it was a lot of work, um, but we did seek impact, uh, seek um, uh, involvement from our RAP consultant um, and also our super global employee resource group. Um, we also have a new parental leave policy, which is, I would say, industry leading. Um, and as I said, all of these policies are open source, so please steal them. Um, they're on our website. Um and finally, I'd just like to say that, you know, as I've, I've been in this role full time since January this year, um, but I'm finding people trust me, they're coming to me for recommendations and any concerns, and there's now an openness to talk about issues affecting them. And hopefully, um, we're making tweaks and changes to policies and initi initiatives, um, yeah, along the way. Yeah, so look, building on that high trust environment um, at Future Super, um, we're not a quiet company. Um, people will people will tell us if if you know things aren't going well. We've got an AMA ask ask me anything slot at our all hands each fortnight, and we we always get some you know questions that really test test the envelope there, push the envelope. Yeah. So first of all, congratulations on your good work. That's uh, that is a, an enviable, I think, for for a lot of organisations. Suite of suite of policies, initiatives, and and activities that you've that you've got going there, and and it, it clearly highlights the breadth and complexity of this this area, which makes it obviously such worthy and and oftentimes difficult difficult work to do because because there are so many different strands we need to um we need to consider here um i think i think just to highlight or, or bring back to um uh, the previous our previous podcast episode where i had a conversation with Nadia powell um from utopia the um you know the the one of the key takeaways there was that you know a noisy organization is a healthy organization it's where staff feel psychologically safe to challenge to question to raise issues it's where everybody's shut down and and nobody says anything i think that's where that's where we really have to worry as organizations um but but just to to kind of bring it back to the to obviously this is a challenging space and and it might be um it might be uh, i guess a, a overwhelming or intimidating for some listening like oh my gosh future super have got this all figured out they've 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 got all these wonderful things going on and and, and while that's true I, I'm 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 almost certain you've got some challenges that have happened along the way as well, and I'm I'm wondering if you'd be able to or willing to to share some of those. What are some of the things that you and Future Super have, have struggled with, or or are still struggling with, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, look, um, as I said, I you know I'm making mistakes, I'm learning as I go. I don't have any formal qualifications in this space, and you know, I, to be honest, I don't even know whether. Look, you know, people come from all sorts of like organizational culture, HR, 
um, I listened to some of your previous guests and, you know, we've come from a diverse range of backgrounds. Almost, we're all almost the accidental DEI expert, aren't we? Um, but look, look, I interrogate what I do very, very strongly. And, you know, as you can imagine, there are a lot of divergent issues that crop up in a business and it's sometimes really hard to prioritize need, you know, um, where do we start with this work? Um, but I, my my philosophy is to look at the greatest need from an intersect, intersectional lens, look at your diversity data, see where the biggest cohort populations are. Um, for example, at Future Super, our diversity data was, is telling us that we have 14% people with disability, but our disability, disability inclusion work was lacking. Um, so what we did was we engaged a disability inclusion consultant um, with more than 20 years experience to develop a disability employment action plan, which, um, we, yeah, we just completed that. Um, and some of the main things we're going to be doing are reviewing our key people policies, um, recruitment and onboarding from a disability lens. So someone with that expertise, um, we've, we've actually just joined the Australian Network of Disability um, you know, to actually use the experts to look at what's happening internally. We want to establish an employer resource group for people with disability, um, you know, compulsory training for employees and managers. A lot of people don't know how this stuff works. Um, and measuring the inclusion sentiment of people with disability is really, really key and measuring that. Um, and as you say, coming back to how we can really tweak policies um, and really reflect on improving um, this work because I think a lot of businesses um, and DEI experts often don't look at disability and I think yeah it's it's it, it's time and and um, I'm really happy that we're now addressing that at Future Super um, and I think finally um, DEI will become one of the greatest change and transformation agendas that organisations will face over the coming decade. Um, there's no one way to solve DEI, right? It's a multi-pronged approach that needs to take into account um, the full, you know, organization, organizational culture, leadership, talent. Um, but it can be really tempting for companies um, to look for quick fixes. Um, it's kind of sometimes the last thing that people might look at. But the challenge is to Im implement that long-term systems change to inequality in the workplace and um, society at large. If it's one thing that I'd like to just draw attention to, I think from your uh, to the listener to, to 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 how I think you're approaching things, which I think is 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 very wise and and kind of shows a shows a uh, subsequent level of humility, which we always <laughs> prescribe to to individuals and organisations. But as you rightly pointed out, we're, uh, virtually everyone in this space is an accidental DEI expert of sorts. We've we've all come from as you as you say a multitude of different backgrounds and a multitude of different lived experiences to be to be doing part of the work, and that no one can be a, an expert in in all aspects of this. The, there's 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 just no such thing as somebody who 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 has the deep expertise across every single dimension of of diversity. That that is a that is that is too broad a bucket for anyone to tackle. So I think your willingness, and you, you've shared it in the examples you've shared, and some of the organisations you've mentioned, to, to to bring in outside help when you need it, uh, and I think to to recognise, hey, we haven't quite got the chops here. We, okay, we, we've recognised that we've got a gap in disability, as you shared. What do we need to do? Let let's let's get some let's get some counsel and and help 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 create a really robust plan. So I just wanted to silver lining that uh, that that sharing there with I think how you're tackling it is, um, I think, really admirable. 
Yep, completely agree. So my next question, I guess, you kind of answered, but I just wonder whether there's anything you want to expand on around what your and future supers focus for the future is in this area, or if you feel you've answered that already, whether there's anything else that you want to share about the work that you're doing. Yeah, um, there is something actually. So outside of my um, core DI work, I'm actually heavily involved with a reconciliation working group and help to drive um, the development of the First Nations employment strategy in partnership with um, First Nations consultancy Arilla. Check them out. They were incredible to work with. Um, We currently don't have any full-time First Nations staff. um, So this is obviously a major piece of work over the next few years. But first of all, we needed to really make Future Super the most culturally safe workplace it could be, you know, once we did have um, full-time staff. So um, we looked at, for example, our EAP service. We use Uprise and noticed that they didn't have any First Nations psychologists. So I've now partnered with um, Yamura. They're based up in Queensland. They're a First Nations-run team of psychologists. Um, So we do have um, someone, you know, uh, a, a, an organization that a First Nations staff member can now go to. Um, we're also, as I said, offering cultural leave for First Nations staff. Um, and what I just completed actually with the team is we re- reviewed all of our people policies and recruitment processes from a First Nations lens um, to ensuring that, um, as I said, we have a culturally safe workplace and we're attracting First Nations talent that, you know, want to work for us, feel safe. They might be the first person um, and, you know, they want to stay. Um, and um, proud to say we're also paying the rent. Um, yeah, so ultimately we want to become a workplace of choice for First Nations staff. Um, as I mentioned, we're really keen to become an employer of choice for people with disability through improving our recruitment processes. Um, but this work will obviously take time. We're at the beginning of that journey. Um, and then finally, um, you know, I'm a woman in my early 50s. Um, I'm in menopause. So as people in the business reach um, perimenopause and menopause, we want to be really out on the front foot and ensure our workplace is um, perimenopause and menopause ready um, and that employees can adjust their work and be open about what they're going through because research shows that employees who disclose their menopausal status have shown to be perceived as um, more confident Um, And then I hope, you know, effectively cancelling out those negative biases that people would otherwise hold. I think what's really commendable is the 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 front foot you've taken. And, and, you know, you you mentioned you you don't have any First Nations employees at the moment, but the fact that you've gone to the trouble of securing uh, an EAP service that provides, you know, a, a place for them to go you know once they're once they're onboarded ahead of them being ahead of them being onboarded speaks to speaks to a, a very real tangible desire to to make this a, a you know a culturally safe place for for, for people to work so uh, again if, you, if you're if you're out there listening and taking notes it it's not the it's not the challenges you're solving with the people in your organization at the moment but what's the how attractive do you want to be and what's the environment you're creating for the people who are going to join tomorrow as well i think is is something to to take into account um, and on the subject of, of biases and stereotypes, and you, you shared you're doing this um, already around um, around menstruation leave, for example, and, and, and the and the conversations you mentioned around menopause, uh, education and having conversations around it removes a lot of bias and stereotype because it de it, it demystifies it and and at least adds uh, adds a layer of of actual real information as opposed to just the the hearsay conjecture and and kind of cultural stereotypes maybe people have picked up along the way so I love the love that you're doing that 
So we're coming towards the end and I guess I'd really love to hear what are the key things you've learned? So you mentioned you've been in your role since January, but you've obviously been playing in this space for a fair bit longer. What have been, yeah, what have been the key things you've learned along that way? What what might be useful for some of our listeners? Um, I think the, the main thing is that, as you said, we're, we are not the experts. You know, you can bring in people who are the experts, um, you know, always learning, always listening, and also acknowledging mistakes. Um, I'm going to make mistakes, um, but I'm always going to try and listen to listen carefully um, with being a, with being okay with the fact that um, we can't please everyone across the business. Um, it's important to bring people along on the journey who may feel, you know, marginalized and not heard, e.g., you know, white men in the business. So we need to really consider how we can best promote um, allyship um, and, you know, find the best support um, for the work that we do. Um, we have, you know, employee resource groups uh, where there's that camaraderie and support that's built up, but is there an EIG for the, the white men in the room? Um, there isn't. So how do we bring them along that journey um, and, you know, make sure that there's really supporting and, you know, they're calling out what's going on um, and being, you know, the cheer squad for, for all of this work. Um, and DLA can also be, you know, obviously very emotionally taxing, so for people thinking about doing this type of work, um, ensuring that your business provides you with adequate support, you know, obviously through your EAP um, provider, but also, you know, you've got that support from your manager um, and you can be really, you know, downloading with them on a regular basis. Um, and you've got your, you know, your peers in the business that you can really um, talk to them and be really honest with them about how you're going, because it can be quite a lonely job. Um, you know, I've build up, you know, um, networks in Australia, but it's quite a new space in Australia. So, uh, you know, I've made contacts with, um, you know, people in the States and Europe. But, um, yeah, I think really leaning on those contacts as much as possible and being honest with how you're going in the business. If you had any final asks of the audience, if you could, um, you know, if you could put a request out there for the people listening to take action on something, to do something differently, to think about something, what would that look like or sound like? Yeah. So when I first started doing this work, um, what I did was I just read and listened really, really widely. Um, I've got a few recommendations. Um, Lily Jane, Orphan Daliri, Christina Ryan, Gloria Tabi, Sarah Liu, um, join the Diversity Council Australia, read as much as you can and really broaden your professional connections, but get out of your comfort zone and out of your personal echo chamber. We tend to like like people um, who are like us, you know, um, but, you know, really push those boundaries, um, you know, get out of, you know, the stale way that you might be thinking. Um, and I think it, it then really um, enhances, um, yeah, the work that you do because you're just coming with, you know, that much, a much broader set of experiences. Um, and I'd finally like to end on a quote um, from Lily Jang, who I really, really respect in this field, They've just published uh, their book, DI Deconstructed, last year. So I quote, um, the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace cannot be overstated. But when half-baked and underdeveloped strategies are implemented, they often do more harm than good, leading the very constituents they aim to support to, dis to dismiss DI entirely. Well said. And, that's that's and, it. And, uh, <laughs> mic drop moment at the, uh, at the end. There. <laughs> no, fantastic. Fantastic. 
Um, and yeah, to, to that last point on on reading and thinking and listening and and talking widely with a with a diverse range of perspectives, um, that that really speaks to some of the heart of the heart of the work that we do, right? Which is which is around diversity of views. And if we're if we're in our echo chamber, then we're we're only going to be trying the same things over and over again. And and that way that way lies lies repeating the same mistakes and, and and not making progress. So um I love that as a love that as a takeaway. Thank you. Mm, no worries. Perfect. Great chat. So what we'd like to do now is a bit of getting to know you. So I'm going to start by asking what obsessions do you explore on your evenings or weekends? Um well look thank you very much again for inviting me. I'm really stoked to be here. Um I've yeah so over the last few months I've actually just joined a book club um never been part of a book club before and obviously I'm reading much much more um I've just finished uh Tim Winton's book Cloud Street um couldn't stop reading it highly recommend um the other thing I've been doing is I went um and did the overland track in Nutrawida Tasmania um mm. a couple of months ago um it was just the most pristine incredible um experience um and I really want to get um, into more country and explore, um, you know, Tasmania um, as much as I can. Um, I'm actually half Tasmanian, so there's a bit of a personal thing there as well. Amazing. I've yeah. got many more questions to ask you about the uh, <laughs> track, but I will do that at another stage. Thank you. What's Cloud Street about? Uh, just out of interest, I've I've noted it down, and I'll pop a link in uh, the the show notes for our listeners in case they want to want to dive in. But what's what's Cloud Street? Just I'm curious. Yeah, so Cloud Street. So Tim Winton's from Western Australia, and I think it references a lot of his experiences um, growing up in Perth, set around some families, what plays out between these two fam families, the relationships. Um, it really references the politics of that time. And yeah, for someone who actually didn't grow up in Australia, it was, you know, a really interesting take on um, just that time. Yeah, yeah. so I, I, I couldn't stop reading it. Um, it was absolutely captivating. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you, thank you. Um, I, my my follow up question uh, to to that, which I, I'm always fascinated to the answer um, that our guests give to this, but what's a what's an organisation you admire for the good they do in the world? Yeah, so this was a really hard question to answer. Um, you know, look, I love so many purpose driven businesses, um, but front of mind for me at the moment is actually two. Um, so Oz Harvest, um, with what's happening, you know, with um, the cost of living crisis in Australia. So they're a leading mm. food rescue organisation with incredible impact um, and they're feeding, um, you know, people most in need. Um, Ronnie Khan is just sensational in, in what she's achieved over the last few years. Um, and the other organisation is Supply Nation. Not sure whether uh, your listeners have heard of them, but they're a database of certified um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island businesses. Um, Future Super have been a member for the past three years. I encourage you to check them out for your next procurement needs. Um, we actually go to them quite a bit um, to try and swap out, um, you know, some of the businesses that you'd normally, you know, go to. Yeah. Love that. Love that. What One of the things we talk to organizations about, you know, all the time is the, the impact they can have on more wisely choosing their suppliers and choosing their, their, their organizational partners. So um, we will absolutely pop a link to both of those organizations in the show notes. Fourth question, what is keeping you up at night? Oh, I love this question. Um, this issue isn't necessarily keeping me up at night. I'm a pretty good sleeper generally, but I've been really preoccupied a lot about um, the voice to parliament and, and how that's mm. playing out um, 
you know, over the, how it will play out over the next few months. Um, the voice referendum, um, it will be a turning point for this country. Um, a yes vote, um, I believe, will save lives. A no vote will invalidate them. Um, so, you know, historically, Australians have rejected most proposals for constitutional amendments. Um, we've only approved eight out of 44 referendums since Federation. So um, those who vote yes, if successful, will have changed the nation and, you know, hopefully have brought the country together and helped design better policy. Um, yeah, so we're, look, you know, we're at the cusp of transformative change in this country, um, but we do have this opportunity to change the trajectory of our nation um, when it comes to recognise recognizing the rightful place of um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Mm. Thank you. And, and the... The, the the question I was about to ask, which was kind of what gives you hope or what sort of glimmers of change do you see on the horizon? It might 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 exist in the same in the same sphere as your answer to Kerry's question, or it might be something completely different. But yeah. yeah, what gives you hope? Well, it's the youth of this Australia, actually. So you know, I work for Future Super. Um, you know, we're a, a climate, we're a purpose driven business, um, intent on changing the space, uh, the climate space. Um, but I'm, I've been following um, this climate change activist student um, called Anjali Sharma. She's now 19, year, 19 years old now, but at the age of 16, she actually took on the former federal government's Minister for Environment, Susan Lay, in the federal, federal court for failing its duty of care to protect young people from the impacts of climate change. Um, we know that she ultimately lost this fight, but... Um, you know, look, I'm, I'm so in admiration of young women like her who are phenomenal, phenomenal in their bravery and tenacity to take on the status quo. Um, so big ups to Anjali. Um, I'm following you. <laughs> I'm, I'm so looking forward to see what you're going to do um, over the years. All right. Well, thank you so much for that. And, and thank you so much for the conversation today. It's been been absolutely fascinating. Um, we will, of course, have links to any and everything that was mentioned in the episode in the show notes and, and where people can, uh, can can get in touch with you and where people can find Future Super if they uh, if they uh, if they want to get on board with a uh, with a with a with a super fund that's doing doing very positive things out there in the world. Um, thank you so much for the conversation today. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Inclusion at Work podcast. If you'd like to help others benefit from the conversation you just heard, the most impactful thing you can do is share it with a friend. You can also give us a rating or a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, if you'd like to talk to us about accelerating your organization's DEI efforts, or if you'd like to provide feedback on anything you heard today, you can reach us at hello at leadersforgood.org.